Hello and welcome to another episode of The Hidden Stories of the Royal Parks, a podcast series where we bring you behind the scenes to discover the amazing stories of the Royal Parks in London. My name is Laura McMahon and I'm the Community Learning Officer for the Royal Parks. In this month's festive edition, we are talking with Anna King, the Centre Manager for the Holly Lodge Centre in Richmond Park. Anna tells us about the history of the beautiful Holly Lodge. We learn about the Holly Lodge Centre, the charity that partners with the Royal Parks to make nature and heritage of Richmond Park accessible to all. She tells us about their famous Victorian Christmas sessions and what's involved. And she gives us her top tips of where to visit in Richmond Park over the festive period, especially for those with accessibility needs. It's a fantastic episode and I hope you enjoy. So Anna, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. So we're going to be talking a bit about what you do in the Holly Lodge Centre and a bit about what you can do um, over the Christmas period in Richmond Park. But it'd be brilliant if we could just start off telling us a bit about the history of the Holly Lodge Centre. Can you tell us a bit about it? Absolutely. Well, as you know, the Royal Parks are bursting with history and a lot of that history is about the Royal Family and very important people. But the history of Holly Lodge is slightly more domestic, but it's just as interesting. So the Holly Lodge has had lots of names. It started out as Cooper's Farm and it became Bog Lodge. And in the 90s, it became Holly Lodge. And actually, I've never seen Holly. There must be Holly somewhere, but I've never I've never found it. But in the 1800s, in the Victorian era, we know that the area was um, a farm and it was lived in by Henry Sawyer and his wife, Alice, and their children. And he was park superintendent. So he was park superintendent from 1872 to 1904. And records show us, although they get a bit sketchy, that his dad, James, and then his grandfather, John, so they were all Sawyers, they were park gamekeepers. So it was a real kind of history tradition, really. And it's Henry and Alice are the reasons that we have Victorian sessions that we deliver at Holly Lodge Centre. Amazing. I think we're going to talk a bit about the the Victorian sessions you do later on. And so you said uh, Mrs. Sawyer was called Alice. Was that correct? She was. So Henry and Alice lived on the farm and at the time it was called Bog Lodge. And we know they had cattle and pigs and horses. And we can see from the census they had a maid and a groom and they had children. And it's Alice that we've kind of adapted really. So we've been a, a little bit creative with history. So we know that there were women who believed in education for all in the Victorian times because in Victorian times you had to be rich to go to school so a lot of children particularly poor children didn't get any form of education but there were quite a few enlightened women who set up dame schools they were called and they would take children into their homes and give them some learning just a little bit of numeracy and literacy. So we've imagined that Alice did that. And so we have a Victorian classroom. It's set up as though it was in a kind of big kitchen or front room of a Victorian home. And so Alice is our Mrs. Sawyer and she's our strict Victorian teacher. (laughs) So that's the Holly Lodge as it was, the the actual building itself. But can you tell us a bit about the Holly Lodge Centre charity and what you do there? Absolutely. So the Holly Lodge Centre is a a very small, tiny, independent charity in the heart of Richmond Park. But we come under the umbrella of the Royal Parks Learning Team. So we deliver education in Richmond Park. 
and we specialise in working with children or adults with disabilities. We don't just work with children with disabilities, so we deliver lots of learning to children from local schools, usually primary schools, but we also work with all of the schools for children with disabilities in our area and across London. We're so lucky to have um, some amazing Victorian rooms and they're very evocative. So we also work with adults affected by dementia or elderly people who come to our pharmacy for reminiscent sessions. And we do offer sessions to adults with learning difficulties as well. And we have an art group session and we do gardening with sick formers. So we've got a lot going on. Mm. And the reminiscent sessions, they sound amazing. Can you tell people a bit more about what, what that is and what it involves? Well, I'll start from the beginning, really. So we have on site, and this is a huge surprise to anyone who comes to visit, but we have a fully recreated Victorian pharmacy. And we have that because there was a local pharmacy in East Sheen, and it was in just three families right from the Victorian era when it was started by Philip Palmer in the 1860s. And then when the pharmacist in the late 90s was looking to retire, he knew it wouldn't be a chemist shop anymore. And he had all of this historical fixtures and fittings and a collection of pharmaceutical items. And he had all the medicine books and the prescription books. And he could see that Philip Palmer in the Victorian era had actually been the pharmacist for the Duke and Duchess of Tech at White Lodge. White Lodge is where the ballet school is in the park now, but formerly the Queen's cousin lived there. And so there were prescriptions for all of the Duke and Duchess's family and their servants. And there were some really large prescriptions, which we think were probably for the horses. So we think that Philip Mm. Palmer, yeah, we think he treated the family, the servants and the farm animals. So some very, very big doses. Anyway, so Alex Mulholland, who was the modern day chemist, was looking around for someone to donate his collection to. And there weren't really many takers. He offered it to lots of museums. And he thought about the whole Lodge Centre and he knew that we did work around the Victorians and he thought it would be a good match. And the rest is history, really. It took a lot of fundraising and a lot of work to recreate it. And now we have a really evocative, it's like stepping back in time. So it's a room full of all of the sights and sounds of a Victorian pharmacy. And we even have a little spray so that we can make the smell of Victorian pharmacy as well, which is great fun. What does a Victorian pharmacy smell like? (laughs) Well, if you ask me, so I don't know what the ingredients are in the spray that we've got, but it was really carefully made by a a chemist for us. I think it smells a little bit like the dentists did when I was a child in the 70s. (laughs) So anyone from the 70s might know what I'm talking about. But there's a there's a definitely a medicinal smell to it. Yeah, I think, you know, going back to the idea of the reminiscent sessions, you know, we're talking about items being very evocative. I think smell is so evocative, isn't it? Especially if you're working with people maybe with a dementia and stuff. I think senses, sense of touch and sense of smell can really bring you back to a memory that you might have thought was maybe gone or been a bit lost. And you know what, Laura, you are so right. So we actually, we base all of the sessions that we do with anyone with any additional need around senses, but our reminiscent sessions, we use smell all the time. So we do a special soap workshop and we have lots of kind of soaps, soaps through history, which sounds bizarre, but coal tar soap and carbolic soap and pear soap and smells that we hope will transport people. And so you're so right. We use smell a lot, but smell, touch, taste and um, 
items to kind of trigger memories in our reminiscent sessions. Have you got any stories? Because obviously you've been you've been doing this for how many years now? So the Holy Lodge Centre has been around for um, about 26 years now. And I've been there for seven. Wow. And with these sessions, I imagine there's so many stories, um, those reminiscent sessions, any of them that come to mind? Well, lots of kind of memories, really. I think what's quite interesting when we work with people who have dementia is that often they arrive very quiet and very sleepy or confused. And it takes a really, really long time before they open up. But then often by the end of the session, we have a cup of tea and a cake. And sometimes our volunteers make the cakes and you see someone transform before your eyes. They reach back into those memories and you see something of the person who they were many, many years ago. And so we've had lots of people come for the reminiscent sessions who had been to the pharmacy themselves or known Alex Mulholland, who was the chemist that donated it to us, or people who um, we've got a a weighing scale for a baby and it's kind of wicker. I mean, nowadays you look (laughs) at it and think, I don't know if I want to put my baby in that, but that was what everyone got weighed in. And there are lots of people who kind of remember being weighed or their siblings being weighed in them or their own babies being weighed in them. So all of these kind of lovely memories, but often memories that really connect with that actual pharmacy come kind of flooding through and it's heartwarming. In fact, we've loved the pharmacy sessions so much and they've been so popular both with the people that come to us and um, our volunteers that deliver them that we've expanded the range. So now we do lots of different kind of reminiscent sessions And our gardening team have got in on the act as well. So they've been growing zinnias and other kind of old fashioned flowers. And so when we do some of our reminiscent sessions, because some of our older visitors can't walk about and walk up to our kitchen garden or walk to our nature trail, we use flower displays that we've grown on the tables. And so we have dahlias and zinnias and plants that might trigger memories from them from their own garden. So it's a lovely link throughout the centre. Absolutely. And speaking of gardens, I know that you have a kitchen garden. Is that right? Can you tell us a bit about that? We do. So we like to imagine that it's Alice Sawyer's garden. And certainly the Sawyers in the 1800s definitely had cattle. We know they had pigs because our Victorian classroom is a form of pigsty. And they had a groom, so we can guess they had horses. But they would have had a kitchen garden and they would have grown quite a bit of their own food. So we have recreated a Victorian kitchen garden. We've adapted it slightly so that it's much more accessible. So all of our paths, you can roll down in a wheelchair if you're using a wheelchair. And we've also got beds, raised beds at different heights, because not everybody with mobility issues uses a chair or can bend very easily. So we've got different heights so that you can work according to how low, how low you can go. And we garden that garden with sixth formers from a local school for children with severe learning difficulties. And we have a team of very green-fingered volunteers who raise all the fruit and vegetables and prepare all of the garden ready for the the young people to come in and garden it. And they sow, harvest and tend the garden. And again, we see quite a transformative effect for those young people as they come week in week. You see them visibly relax over time and come leaping off the bus they didn't want to get off on the first week with a basket ready to take all of the goodies back to school. And the fruit and veg produce goes back to school and it gets used in their pupil run cafe. That's amazing. And I think 
everyone maybe during lockdown has really appreciated doing some type of gardening. It is a form of therapy. And then at the end of it, you get something nice to eat too, hopefully. <laughs> the slugs haven't got it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you mentioned your volunteers, which I know the centre couldn't be without. Do you want to tell us a bit about the volunteering um, programme that you have um, at the Holly Lodge? That's such a good question, Laura, because I went into the centre today and currently in COVID times, we don't have so many volunteers in. And actually, it makes me realise how much our volunteers are the heart of the centre. So we have a, a tiny staff team. There's three of us and two of us are part time. And then we have over 80 volunteers and our volunteers do everything. So some people help us with finance or organise events or help us with admin. But then we've got a team of people who help look after and maintain the nature trail. And we've got a team of volunteers who help us deliver the education sessions. If there's something that needs doing, we usually have a volunteer who can help us to do it. I would say that our volunteers are really the beating heart of what we do. Yeah, amazing. And if people want to find out a bit more about volunteering, I guess they can go on the, um, the Holly Lodge Centre website. Is that right? If they want to find out more information about that. Absolutely. Pop onto the website and my email address and the phone number for the centre are there. So the best thing to do is get in touch with us. Brilliant. And obviously we're in the festive season at the moment. Um, you know, we're getting very close to Christmas. So I really wanted to ask you about the Victorian Christmas sessions that you've been doing. Can you tell us a bit about them? So many years ago when the centre first started, because we were all about inclusion and access to the park, what the founder members or the family members of staff realised, that was Pat Ely, that people who were using wheelchairs or had many disabilities found it quite difficult to be outside in the winter. So that was why we started up our Victorian rooms. And we've always done a Victorian Christmas. So for the whole of December and last week in November, usually, we only have visitors from schools for children with disabilities or from adults from care homes. And we have a Victorian Christmas and I can't tell you, it is probably the most festive thing you can possibly do. <laughs> Our Victorian schoolroom, which is a very evocative room anyway, is filled with a, a giant Christmas tree. And then in each session, each group get to decorate the tree with Victorian decorations. We're very careful about the decorations because many of the young people or adults that come to us might have a visual impairment. So everything is very tactile, but also Victorian. We decorate the tree with ornaments. We decorate the room with holly and ivy and we make gingerbread. So we're using all of those smells. So we're smelling pine and we're smelling cloves and we're smelling cinnamon and we're rolling out dough. We always make a gift or two as well. And we try and change that up every year. Although it can be a little bit of a challenge through the year for us to choose the craft because we're always trying to choose something that's quite easy to do if you don't have great fine motor skills, but is, you know, is Victorian, but also non-toxic should you eat it. So every year, every yes, year it's course. a challenge to find a craft, but that's the joy of it. So the sessions are very creative um, and we usually end up with a carol or two and musical instruments for the young people. And then right at the end, we'll have a, a bite of gingerbread too. Oh, I mean, you can't get more Christmassy than that. And actually, I was going to ask, because the idea of, of Christmas and a lot of the traditions that you've spoken about there really started off in the Victorian times, didn't they? I know that Christmas trees, you know, decorating your Christmas tree really came over with Prince Albert um, in the Victorian era from Germany. And 
even things like writing Christmas cards and stuff like that, you know, it all all tended to stem from the Victorians. Yeah, no, you're so right. So, so much of it was was made fashionable by Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. And so the reason that we make gingerbread was because actually on Christmas Eve, that's what Queen Victoria and, and Prince Albert liked to hang on their tree. Whether they'd made them themselves, I can't be sure, but that's why we do it. I mean, also because it tastes delicious and it smells wonderful. Very Victorian, absolutely. And you're just talking there about like all these Christmas decoration stuff. Is there any stories for you that you remember of, of students coming in and, and decorating and really connecting? Yeah, there is one sweet little story. So in the Victorian classroom, when we make the gingerbread, we use all of the ingredients for gingerbread and the children mix them up. And then we have some ready-made gingerbread dough, which they can then roll out. And then we don't actually have... Um, we have a range in the, the classroom, but it's not a working range because obviously that would require an open fire. And you can imagine that's not ideal for us. So we have this kind of pretense. So we we cut the gingerbread out and then we, we put it in the oven. And then later on, we have some gingerbread that we made earlier on. But there was one session where the children just thought it was so magical because they said, and we put the gingerbread in the oven and it was all shaped like gingerbread men. And when they came <laughs> out, they were shaped like hearts. It was just, honestly, it was so sweet. I have to admit, some of those sessions leave you quite misty eyed because the children are so excited and it just delivers so much kind of cheer that, yeah, it was lovely. Nice memories. That's a really, really lovely story. Obviously, we, you know, 2020, we've had to all adapt and change to COVID. I know that you guys are going to be doing your Victorian Christmas this year, but it's going to be slightly different, isn't that right? It is. It's very different. So it will still be very Christmassy. Because we don't want to use our Victorian rooms, we don't want to be inside. We have, we're very lucky to have a two-way connect trail. And being outside is so beneficial for young people, all young people particularly though the children that we work with at Christmas. So instead of being inside and dressed as Victorians, this year we'll be outside and dressed up warm in thermals and we're all going to go on Christmas sensory walks. So we will start by looking at trees because the Christmas tree is central to our Christmas or how we decorate our homes. And we all have a sensory trip around our nature trail so young people will come across a tree covered in icicles and then in our dipping box, they'll open it up and we'll have ice in there. And we're also going to look at animals on our nature trail and what happens to them in winter. But we'll still have some of those smells of Christmas as we go around. So we've got lots of activity stations around the nature trail and there will be lots of festive sensory things for them to find, smell, taste and make Oh, that's going to be amazing. I remember you brought us around uh, the sensory trail. It was back in the summer, but it was just amazing, you know, going through these pathways, through all these beautiful trees and woodland areas and then coming across these boxes. It was just so magical to come across these boxes and open them up and to have this kind of sensory exploration. So I imagine it's going to be absolutely beautiful for Christmas. Obviously, this is specifically geared towards uh, schools who work with students with additional needs um, and care homes. But for everyone else who wants to come into Richmond Park this festive season, what areas would you recommend they visit? Well, the very first thing, we've already talked about how a Christmas tree is absolutely central to everyone's Christmas. So you can buy your Christmas tree in Richmond Park and there is a company called Cloud Pine. 
they are selling Christmas trees so you can have a Richmond Park Christmas tree as part of your Christmas. And I know with my family, buying the tree is a lovely family activity. So that's for sorting out your Christmas decorations at home. I'm obviously slightly biased and I love Richmond Park. I have lots of favourite places there, but my absolute favourite and particularly my favourite for taking my children to when they were very small was the Isabella Plantation. Oh yeah, could you tell people about the Isabella Plantation? It's such a beautiful space, but I feel like a lot of people don't know what it is. I'll give it a go. So obviously most people know that in Richmond Park there are lots of deer roaming about and they are beautiful, but they're also pesky because they eat everything. So the Isabella Plantation is an enclosed space and in there there's a, a wide variety of different kind of plants and there's usually colour either from leaves or flowers all year round and there's water all flowing all the way through in little streams and the Royal Parks in conjunction with the National Lottery did a big piece of work a few years ago to make the Isabella Plantation more accessible. So particularly for visitors with any form of additional need, the paths are now much easier. There's a new big toilet block and there's a car park for blue badge holders too. So it, it's a really accessible space. And what's great about it is it's enclosed and it feels super safe for children to kind of run about. They're not going to be able to run off anywhere too far away. Yeah, fantastic. My real top tip, I think, for any adult or family getting out either in Richmond Park or any natural space, really, is to um, to find a space, maybe a favourite spot and just stay still for a while. Maybe wrap up warm first or bring something to sit on. But just that sitting still and being in nature, which sounds really, really kind of hippie. But actually, as soon as you start to sit still, you'll start to hear the sounds around you. So that might be the birds, insects, and you might start noticing kind of small movement around you. And you can really kind of get in touch with the space. And then if you visit it regularly, you'll see uh, through the seasons as it changes. So that would be my top tip over the festive season. Take a walk, but then stop and sit for a while. I think that's so important, isn't it? Because, you know, we live such active, like, you know, constantly doing things, uh, lives. And I think that's where the importance of nature for our well-being really comes in, that passive just being in a space and kind of zoning out, letting your mind wander is just so important. And you can do that so well in nature. And I think in wintertime as well, you know, we, we think of sitting under a tree as a summer activity. But if you're wrapped up well, it's just as beautiful, sometimes a bit more magical going out and exploring uh, nature over wintertime. Is there any other things on the Richmond Park side that you recommend? I know that we have the horse carriage rides that we haven't mentioned with the Operation Centaur team. Could you tell people a bit more about that? Well, Laura, we've talked about going back in time and actually the horse carriage rides are, they really are a portal back in time. So Operation Centaur in conjunction with Royal Parks offer carriage rides around the park. There are moments on those carriage rides when you can't see cars and if you're lucky, you might not be able to see anything at all apart from the trees around you. It's magical, magical, magical. The most Christmassy thing you can do. And I think all of the information that people would need would be on the Royal Parks website. That's correct. So you can go on our website to find out how you can book that. An amazing thing to book for the festive uh, season. And alongside the Christmas trees, the money raised supports the Royal Parks and the fantastic things Operation Centaur do as well. 
they look after shire horses, which are quite rare animals now um, and they do fantastic work with them. Thank you so much, Anna, for coming in. That was absolutely fantastic. If people want to find out more about um, the Holly Lodge Centre and the things that you do, where could they go to find out that information? Pop onto our website, which is www.thehollylodgecentre.org.uk and you can see everything about us on there. Fantastic. Anna, thank you so much for coming on and I hope you and your loved ones have a lovely Christmas. And you. Thank you very much, Laura. Thanks, Anna. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Hidden Stories of the Royal Parks. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher or wherever else you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to find out more about enjoying the Royal Parks over the festive period, then check out our website royalparks.org.uk where you can find out more about our Welcome Winter campaign. We've got lots of resources that you can enjoy from the comfort of your own home and some activities to help you get out and enjoy nature this winter. The Royal Parks is a charity that cares for the eight Royal Parks in London. If you'd like to support us, please go on to royalparks.org.uk forward slash support. Thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to bringing you another episode of the hidden stories of the Royal Parks very soon. Our podcast series is a team effort from myself, Laura McMahon, Kristen Mueller, Letty Layson and Lucy Kellett. This episode was edited by Hannah Hethman and Julia Letts from Better Lemon Creative Audio.